All right. Welcome to Pro Football Doc Podcast here as we are in mid-August, training camp season, heat of the season, high schools, colleges, professional football leagues ramping up. And we're ready to go at profootballdoc.com. However, this podcast will be a little bit different. If you want the regular rundowns and stuff, go to part two of this podcast. But this message I have for everyone, I think is way more important than anything else out there. Look, uh, if you want the usual stuff, you can go to profootballdoc.com, download free. There's a 72 page uh, preseason injury preview of all 32 teams, et cetera, doc live stuff, et cetera. But this podcast, at least part one, is really, really important. And I would really want everyone to share this, share the message, pass it on to coaches, athletic directors, principals, school administrators, parents, kids, certainly athletic trainers, but athletic trainers know about this. This should never happen, never, ever happen. And what is that? If you look, it's just sad. It's unacceptable. Alabama high school football star, Dimitri McKee, passed away at the age of 17 after a football practice. This is 20 years after Corey Stringer passed away from a heat stroke. And it is outrageous to think that it is still going on. My message is, This is 100% preventable, treatable. There's just no excuse for it to happen. Look, Corey Stringer's death was tragic. That was in the NFL, but I'm worried about all the different high school levels, potentially college, and we'll talk about it. This is preventable by coaches and by players and by parents. Yes, an athletic trainer would totally prevent this, but I get that funding isn't always there. It is a complete tragedy to have any kid die of a heat stroke. So let's look at what happened to Dimitri McKee. And I only talk about it here because the family is even quoted in it. So it's not a secret anymore. So no question, the the team in the school is very, very saddened by this and in mourning. But according to reports, he passed out at practice. The coaches noticed that the player was having problems and put ice on his back. It happened at 7.45 p.m. and is at the hospital by 8.15 p.m. And it's just sad. It shouldn't happen. And there are more details in this. So what do we know? What do we learn from this so far? The article does say it's heat stroke and heat stroke can happen fast. Look, I'm not trying to blame anyone. I'm just talking prevention here. Um, Heat stroke, once it starts, it's very, if you don't act very quickly, hard to reverse. Kudos at least the coaches were practicing kind of in the evening, although at 7.45, it's probably still pretty hot in Alabama. 
but at least they weren't practicing at noon or 2 p.m. So at least someone was aware. But especially as training camp, uh, you know, uh, getting in shape, running stairs, I don't know what he was doing, but especially in football, and I don't know this, but, you know, pads and helmet take away a lot of your ability to radiate the heat. It does have a tendency to happen to the bigger guys, although that's not absolute. And kudos to this kid because literally he worked himself to death. He just worked himself hard. I don't know if the coaches were yelling at him or not, and I'm not saying they were. It's just sad. First of all, I would say you need to have athletic trainers on site. By that article, it didn't seem like there was because they say coaches noted. They made no mention of an athletic trainer. Maybe there was. Maybe the coaches were trained. I hope so. But to me, this is more important than even concussions because you die from this. And I'm not, you know, look, there's mandatory concussion training. There should be mandatory heat stroke training, especially if you don't have an athletic trainer present. Athletic trainers are trained to know this. Heat index, wet bulb thermometers, you name it. There's charts, and especially big guys with equipment on, it's very difficult. They said they put an ice pack on it, but let me tell you, that's the right thing to do, but an ice pack is not enough. We should have ice baths ready to go whenever there's uh, workouts in any heat. Uh, uh, Any tub filled with ice and water makes a big difference. I mean, what you want to do is the polar bear plunge, so to speak, right? You got to get the core temperature down quickly. There was no mention of measuring the core temperature. Maybe there was. I don't know. I'm just saying this is an absolute tragedy. It's sad. It's unacceptable. And it's 100% preventable. First of all, monitoring conditions on the way in, monitoring kids, having athletic trainers there, being able to take a temperature, ideally core temperature, but even if not, it's called ice baths. It's not an ice pack. There's no way that that's enough. And let me tell you, half an hour is a long time, uh, especially if you have rising core temperatures, very potentially dangerous. And I was sad to see that this is not the only time, um, you know, just in the timeline that I tweeted, Someone made me aware of other ones. It's just completely sad. Um, I'm looking through it here, but there were other kids. They're pointing out another kid that apparently passed away due to this. And, uh, you know, I'm not finding it in my timeline now, but because uh, there's so many different comments, but it's just completely sad that this has to be the case. Oh, here, here's the, here it is. Omaha South football player dies, collapsing from heat stroke. Um, you know, this is August 11th of this year, high school student. Doctors couldn't revive his heart. There's just no reason this should happen. Period, end of story. Um, look, there recently was even in the news two coaches charged with murder in the death of a basketball player who collapsed during practice. 16 year old, 
look, I, I'm not making judgment on the coaches. I'm sure they weren't trying to purposely do this, but as an outdoor practice in extreme heat, um, running stairs, once again, uh, a bigger athlete. It's just sad and it's preventable. Look, whether it's the wrongful death lawsuit or whether it's charges, you don't get the kid back. And it is a tragedy. And Corey Stringer Institute is doing what they can. Go to the website, Corey Stringer Institute. Every person, every parent should lobby their school to have heat stroke training, have athletic trainers, have coaches be aware. Invest in an ice tub. It's not that expensive. A plastic tub, a garbage can filled with ice and water would do it. The garbage cans we have at our homes and otherwise. It's just something, look, there's great progress in getting automatic external defibrillators, AED devices in areas and schools. But if you have a practice that's even remotely hot, even if you're monitoring wet bulbs and heat index, just get the trash can filled with ice and water. Just get the ice tub. It's not that hard. That is definitely something that can save a kid's life. Of course, it's monitoring prevention on the front end. But you never know if there's an underlying cause that uh, even with a normal or acceptable heat index or wet bulb thermometer reading. Simple prevention here, more important than an automatic external defibrillator, easier to do. Uh, I'm sorry to be so dour in this. Look, I'm an orthopedist. Uh, I'm not a primary care doc, but as a sports medicine guy, I mean, as a parent, it's just sad. It's preventable. And I'm sure the coaches didn't mean it, but principals, athletic directors, programs, club coaches, parents need to take an active stand here so this really doesn't ever happen again and like i said i just feel bad for it to happen 20 years after Corey stringer we should be better than this it's easily preventable concussions in football are difficult to prevent you can do all you can to keep kids safe but this is preventable this should never happen all right we'll take a break Pro Football Doc podcast, and then we'll come back with uh, part two and more of our normal segment or style. I just felt like that was really worth it, that message. And I would really like everyone to try and pass it on to your school, to other parents, to the kids themselves, to watch for each other. And uh, look, any booster club, if the school won't do it, it's a simple investment in the ice and the tub. And by the way, muscle recovery, the ice baths are good too, right? International athletes use it all the time. And in the NFL, we'll have eight or 10 ice tubs, even big shared ones for right after hot days, but that's also for muscle recovery. So not only for rejuvenation for the next workout, but to save a life that should be standard equipment on any practice field on a hot day. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back with part two of the Pro Football Doc podcast. All right, welcome back to part two of the Pro Football Doc podcast. 
Uh, sorry about that early segment. I just felt like it was necessary. It just broke my heart to see that this weekend. Uh, but let's move on to, to football and, and the fun sides of things. First of all, preseason injury preview is here. Download it for free. The website is still free. Uh, lots of updates, uh, et cetera, here. But uh, let's go through the usual rundown here of athletes and then some video and some other things. And I want to actually touch on uh, Patrick Mahomes and uh, Fernando Tatis in the end of this. So first of all, let's talk about Dak. Dak, here we go. Second MRI, good news, on pace, the whole deal. Great news. Got no issue with it. Happy with it. I've said all along that I believe Dak Prescott will be ready for week one in terms of the ankle, may not be 100%. And with this early season, early preseason shoulder latissimus dorsi issue, he will be ready with the shoulder as well. However, it's not a nothing deal. The Cowboys started with words of fatigue, Mike McCarthy said. Well, fatigue doesn't show up on MRI. They talked about the latissimus strain. It's mild day to day. Well, we're now three weeks. Thankfully, he's back at practice, but he won't be full go. He's still on pace, as the article says. I'm glad a second MRI shows healing, but you still have to be careful. Uh, the hard knock stuff was a little bit interesting. Uh, first of all, it's not unusual to need two surgeries, especially if bone is sticking through the skin. The first surgery is to clean up the skin, clean up the infection, make sure there's no infection before you put hardware in because putting hardware in, the any bacteria sticks to it and, you, and the, any low level infection expands. You always need to avoid an Alex Smith situation. By the way, congratulations to Alex Smith. He's now an ESPN analyst. But look, Alex Smith, it was a dirty wound. You know, the early surgery, it led to a really bad chain of events and they did a really good job saving his leg, but that's why it's normal to have two surgeries with DAC. The other thing with uh, hard knocks is they said, oh yeah, they talked to the Yankees and Rangers. That's not unusual. Doctors and medical professionals and athletic trainers share. Uh, when I was in the NFL, it wasn't unusual for another team doctor to call me or put out word by email saying, has anyone ever seen this before, if it's something unusual? That's how you get better. You share knowledge and information. And uh, we do it routinely among medical personnel in the NFL. But when necessary, we go outside too. For example, in this case here with a throwing athlete like Dak, although a pitcher's throwing motion is different than Dak's quarterback throwing motion, it's still throwing. And it makes sense. Kudos to the Cowboys medical staff and athletic trainers for asking, why not? Maybe you learn something new or different. They certainly have more experience with throwing injuries. And uh, so nothing unusual there with Dak. In the end, uh, he'll be ready to go. But I still am more worried about Amari Cooper than Dak Prescott. And here is Amari on the field. Now, this is a few days ago. But he certainly doesn't look 100%. Now, that's Dak with some tosses to him, easy ones. But Amari still doesn't look 100% there. Amari's going to play. Dak is going to play. That isn't the issue. Uh, it's really more 
uh, Amari's going to have to deal with it and deal through the injury rather than uh, rather than be at a hundred percent. But Dak should be good to go by the start of the season. Let's move on to the next big story. The next big one, of course, it's always quarterbacks. Quarterback Carson Wentz. Um, well, let's talk about Jordan Love for a second before Carson Wentz. Jordan Love, um, MRI normal, MRI clean. But if you look at uh, Pro Football Doc, you'd see that what we said is it's not necessarily clean. Um, suffered a shoulder injury, but the way that it happened on the strip stack, it causes a rotator cuff strain, strain. MRI clean, but the Packers still need to be careful and they're going to uh, miss some time. And the Packers only have two quarterbacks today at practice. Jordan Love will be okay. It's just going to cost them preseason time is all. Probably will not play the Jets game. Now they'll be protecting Rodgers and protecting Love. Don't be surprised if they sign another camp arm, which my guess is they might do or should do. All right, uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, Jim Irsay said Carson Wentz needs to be 100% or he won't play week one. That cements it. He's not going to play week one in my mind. If they decide to change their mind on that, then he might play. Could he play week one? I think he could at less than 100%. He seems to be recovering well from that bone excision foot surgery. But really the deal is to get to 100%, I think it's October. I don't know if it's early October or late October. Uh, I think Quentin, will, Quentin, Quentin Nelson will return more quickly based on the position that he plays, not questioning Wentz's toughness. And they wanna be careful with Wentz so that one injury doesn't beget another. For example, uh, Dak Prescott, was his ankle not being 100% leading to the shoulder strain? Might be. Last thing you want is Wentz not stepping into throws the right way and injuring his shoulder or his elbow. So it's smart for the uh, Colts to be careful, and I think they will continue to be careful. All right, let's continue with our rundown here. Um, Devontae Smith returns to practice. Still a little cautious with his right knee MCL. Um, look, he's fluid. He looks good. He's a great player, but that's not exactly a one-step hard cut. I mean, choppy steps, uh, that, that route right there, that's not going to get the separation that he needs. But he's getting closer. He's increasing his conditioning. He's getting back into it. But that sort of cut to the right, normally with one step would stress the MCL, which is what he injured, but, but he is absolutely progressing and getting better. Another note in the NFL, um, Titans. The Patriots have been doing it for a while, probably not a surprise. Mike Rabel, right, from the Patriots and Titans. Braces, mandatory braces for padded practices, begrudgingly. Um, Players don't like wearing the braces. They feel like clunky and slows them down, makes, makes them feel more robotic. But it can save you from an injury, so I think it makes sense. Uh, in games, they might not. In college, in games, they also wear it, typically. Uh, but in the NFL, most teams don't require it. The Patriots have. Uh, but in any case, the Titans aren't doing that, but just for the padded practices, they're requiring it. 
And you also see it on lead leg quarterbacks. Mac Jones just played around with one for prophylactic uh, reasons with his lead leg. Not sure if he will keep it. Tom Brady has. A lot of people have used that lead leg brace. Um, and uh, Joe Burrow undoubtedly will have a lead leg brace on as he continues to recover this, uh, this off season here. All right, next up here, um, before we get to this, this is actually a critical time of training camp. There are always acclimation injuries, hamstring strains, you know, quad strains, groin strains. They're not all as bad as Rashad Bateman who needed surgery, who I think will start the season on injured reserve. Not yet though, if he goes on injured reserve now, he's done for the season. If they wait for the 53 and then put him on injured reserve, he can come back in three weeks. And that would be the hope of the Ravens wide receiver. But even the small niggly stuff, the uh, Frank Clark hamstrings, the Allen Robinson hamstrings, the David Montgomery minor ankle tweaks. And we didn't initially post anything on David Montgomery because we thought it was mild and he's practicing, even though there was a lot of speculation otherwise. But all the mild little niggly things now become important because if you get it week one in training camp, you've got time to get better and hit your stride before the regular season. Now with only a couple weeks to go, three weeks to go, even a mild or medium hamstring leaks into the regular season. So hopefully a lot of those are out of the way. So injury reports become more important now because of that, much more out there now much more important as injuries now tend to leak into the season. Footnote here, um, remember last week and before we talked about the wristbands and COVID? Look, uh, people were saying, you know, it's unfair to identify the players with different color wristbands. They're gonna be identified. Look at here, Tom Pelissaro saying, only unvaccinated players can be labeled high-risk close contact one of the many competitive advantages. So basically James Conner and Darrell Daniels, Daryl Daniels, James Conner are not vaccinated. So look, when you walk around the facility and you have to wear a mask all the time, it means you're not vaccinated. So I always thought the color-coded wristband thing wasn't a big deal either way. And there's just some more proof of it. Uh, right, wrong, indifferent, the, the rules are jury-rigged for you to get vaccinated in the NFL, and it should be, and it, the league is already headed that way. It seems all teams will. All right, something fun here I want to talk about. Fernando Tatis, unbelievable. He returns after his fifth shoulder instability issue, admitted to needing surgery come the offseason, gets moved to the outfield, right field, and does it again. Comes back and hits two home, run, two home runs. If the hardest thing you can do in sports is hit a baseball, as many people say. Fernando Tatis is special. He comes off two weeks of, of not playing and hits two home runs. He's done it time and again every time he's come off the injured list. Craziness. He's moved to a different position. Craziness. I mean, I don't love the move to a different position. To me, you know, the game is not that easy to just stick him in the outfield. Yes, he's athletic and yes, he can learn, but it's unfamiliar. And to me, there's potentially more danger out there because full speed runs 
and or running into walls. And if it really is that bad that you have to move him, maybe it's time for surgery. But look, he continues to defy the odds. So my analogy on the outfield is this. If you're driving without a seatbelt, if you're playing a sport with a labrum tear, quote, with a broken seatbelt, do you want to drive in city traffic or do you want to drive on the highway? The advantage of city traffic is it's slower speeds. The disadvantage is many more cars and many more chances for accidents, but lower injury accidents typically. In the outfield, it's like the highway. Fewer cars, less chance for accidents, but higher speeds. When there is an accident, it's at higher speeds. So which would you rather do without a seatbelt? Drive on the highway or drive in the city? Do you want to play in the outfield or do you want to play at shortstop? Similar comparisons. There's no right answer. And I'm not being critical of the Padres. It's just a tough decision in terms of what's happening there. So one of the things that I thought of, since, of course, I cover lots of football, et cetera, but uh, Patrick Mahomes and Fernando Tatis have a lot in common. To me, Fernando Tatis Jr. is to Major League Baseball what Patrick Mahomes is to the NFL. What are the comparisons? Both sons of professional athletes. Both hold themselves up very well to the public and media and are good role models. Both are exceptional athletes. Both have the hair, different hair, and the flair of the games. Both contort their bodies like the Matrix. Patrick Mahomes' arm angle is unbelievable, his release angle. Fernando Tatis, you've probably seen the Matrix-like videos of him avoiding getting hit by a baseball or contorting himself on a slide, et cetera. And both have made it back through injuries. Fernando Tatis five times this year with his shoulder. Patrick Mahomes played the Super Bowl with a turf toe where he needed surgery. Remember the year before when he won the Super Bowl? after he dislocated his kneecap and came back in a little under four weeks. Amazing. I think Patrick Mahomes is to the NFL as Fernando Tatis is to major league baseball, young stars with lifetime contracts in small market teams, not only face of the franchise face of the, their leagues for a while. I mean, obviously I'm biased. My son who now is eight, uh, Tatis is his favorite baseball player. He wears number 23. He's got Tatis jerseys. My, my Patrick Mahomes, as some of you know, look, he dressed up for Patrick Mahomes' Halloween, has Mahomes gear and jerseys. His favorite gift was indeed uh, at Christmas time uh, a Patrick Mahomes signed ball that his sister got for him. I think Fernando Tatis Jr. is the Patrick Mahomes of his league. All right. Um, Let's get to the video that I want to share here. Um, oh, here's the video that we want to share. Oh, here's a picture of my son with Patrick Mahomes with his Patrick Mahomes Halloween costume. He did get the uh, the uh, helmet and the whole deal, the whole rigmarole. But um, let's go to what happened here. 
Um, so this is uh, kind of a funny tweet. Um, football game, college, uh, Arkansas game. They kind of were trolling uh, Bobby Petrino for his motorcycle accident. But let's look at what happens here. This is the AD who gets kicked in the face. So thankfully he's okay. But here's the one thing I wanted to talk about on the sideline. He gets kicked in the face. Look at how far back he is. He's not at the in the NFL. I'll show you. Uh, in the NFL, remember, there's like a thick white line and then the yellow line and then the dotted line is all the way back here. But look at how far out of the way the athletic director is. And the lesson here, he's fine. He just got cleated. But the lesson here is just like when you're trying to avoid a bull in the ring, you can't back up fast enough. You can't back up far enough. You have to move laterally to get out of the way of the bull. You have to move laterally to get out of the way of the wash and the player coming up on you. They come fast. So uh, that's my little lesson for sideline etiquette for players, coaches, fans, athletic directors, move laterally to avoid the wash and avoid injury on the sideline. And to be fair, if you haven't been run into at all on the sideline, then you haven't be, been there enough. Actually, I'll tell a funny story um, and conclude with this funny story. Um, Troy Palomalu lives in San Diego and uh, now and Hall of Fame, right? One time I inadvertently, inadvertently, because look, he and they're such great athletes. I ended up giving him a forearm shiver and, and uh, he was coming to the sideline fast and hard. I backed up, I moved to the side and he was still coming so hard and there was people next to me, I couldn't move out of the way quickly enough that I thought he was gonna knock me over. So I put out my forearm to sort of stop him from like bowling me over and you know also hold him up, right? He's much bigger and faster than me. But being the great athlete that he is, he stopped on a dime and my forearm shiver, it wasn't hard, was unnecessary because he just stopped and cut. And But I did kind of make contact with his arm and shoulder lightly. And he kind of turned and looked at me and like, kind of like what gives? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> what gives? But what's funny about that is the next day, about 10 players high-fived me because they all saw it on film on Monday. And they're like, good job, doc, forearm shiver. But they were kidding me. They're giving me a hard time. I mean, I'm sorry, Troy. I know it didn't hurt. It was like a little love tap, but they do come fast on the sidelines. And, uh, you know, the uh, athletic director of Arkansas knows that uh, already and knows it now. Anyways, I wanted to end on a more lighthearted note after the more somber part one of this week's Pro Football Doc podcast. Thanks for watching and listening. YouTube, Apple, Please uh, continue with the five-star reviews and we'll see you again next week on the pro football doc podcast. Thanks for listening and watching.